you know that you're no more likely if you're devout to have a near-death experience than someone who is not devout. Did you know that? Well, isn't that interesting? <laughs> Purple Trader. I'm Ash. She is from Experience Required on Spotify and all the things. All the things. We're out there. And yeah. <laughs> and I'm on Twitch and YouTube and Spotify. Spotify. And I just found out I was on uh, Google Music. I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah. And guess what else? What? I have a listener in New Zealand. No. I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I'm a star. So, just so you guys know that. Congratulations. Yeah. Today, we're talking about near-death experiences and... Uh, the spirituality, psychology, and biology of that. If you hear anything, the inspiration is above us. That's our children making noises. <laughs> <laughs> They're having a sleepover. Um... Okay, so let's let's start off. I okay. guess um, we'll go basic. Uh, what is a near death experience to you? Uh, well, I don't know that I've had one. Yeah, but <laughs> my understanding is like an out of body experience, which. Like viewing yourself or your body from a like third person perspective. Uh, yeah, the definition is very close to that. It's uh can be either um it usually occurs uh during reversible clinical death. Okay. So. Uh, now they're, um, they're quantifying that as no blood flow or oxygen to the brain. Mm -hmm. But, you know, after your heart stops. Fun fact. Yes. It's also comparable to a dissociative episode, which I have had. Trip. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so these experiences could be positive. Um, these are experiences that the person 
uh, um, they're actually perceiving, uh, which are, they're, the majority of them are positive. Uh, they include detachment from the body, feelings of levitation, which are, you know, like seeing the doctors operating on you, um, serenity, security, warmth, joy, experiences of absolute dissolution, uh, dissolution, review of major life events, so like, my life flashed before my eyes. Um, it was horribly boring. <laughs> <laughs> it's very boring. <laughs> um, the presence of light, um, and seeing dead relatives. So... I don't know if that's positive, but <laughs> seeing dead relatives. But um, it also could be negative, which is not very frequent, I guess, uh, including sensations of anguish, distress, a void, devastation, a vast emptiness, seeing hellish places, and the devil. Oh, that's a stark contrast. It's like a bad trip. Yeah. <laughs> and it said, um, the statistic I found was that 10 to 20% of people who had a near, who have come close to death have had these near-death experiences. So, that's not actually not... Not a lot. Not a lot of people in general. I mean, how many people have actually come had clinical death come back and had a near-death experience. Yeah. Like, I should have gotten that statistic, how many people have had clinical death and come back. But, I mean, I wouldn't assume it would be very many. But, um, I don't have, usually I have some history, but there's not very much history, at least biologically I mean I think uh, throughout time everybody's had I mean it, it historically it's a well-known thing mm -hmm. near-death experiences yeah but clinically there's not a lot of history to it yeah um, there was only uh, so near-death experience NDE by the way uh, Near-death experiences were described as a clinical syndrome by Albert Heim in 1892. That was the first time it was described as a clinical syndrome. Um, and that was by just observations by workers falling off scaffolds, uh, war soldiers, climbers who fell, you know. Mm -hmm. Um... And then it just jumps to 1968. <laughs> so, uh, Celia Green published uh, analysis of 400 out-of-body experiences, which is not exactly the same, because you can have an out-of-body experience. Without dying. Yeah, like you can be in surgery mm -hmm. and have an out-of-body experience. Or have a dissociative episode. Right. Um, <coughs> and the thing about this is that uh, she kind of said that it was a, 
perceptual experience or a hallucination. So there was really no thought as to why these things were happening. It was just kind of like, hmm, you're hallucinating, but 400 people experienced it. So, right. You know. And then 1969, the Swiss American uh, psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler Ross published on death and dying what the dying have have to teach doctors nurses clergy and their own families and then 1975 uh, near-death experiences was popularized the actual phrase near-death experience was popularized by uh, psychiatrist Raymond Moody he's actually a pretty big guy in this um, he did a lot of research on it and I'm going to come back full circle on this guy. But <coughs> he used it as an umbrella term for out-of-body experiences. Mm -hmm. And panoramic life review. So, you know, flashbacks. <laughs> and the tunnel mm -hmm. and the light. So that's basically it for history. I mean, there's not really much progress. There's really not... There's a lot of studies on it, though. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I read about a few. Yeah. And there's a lot of uh, comparisons that are <coughs> to, like, um, there is a really interesting, really cool book um, that I read about a year ago, and it's about mushrooms. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there have been studies surrounding the like the similarities between a psilocybin trip and yeah. a near death experience. Oh yeah. And like with, you know, uh, brain activity measurements under, you know, those specific sets of circumstances. Right. The difference between a a hallucination and what an like an out of body experience actually is perceptively in the brain. Right. I read in um, one of the articles that I read, I believe it was um, uh, the Scientific American article. Mm -hmm. um, they were talking about that, how it was. <coughs> almost exactly like psilocybin. Yeah. And when you, like, be, because um, when they asked people to recall what a near-death experience was like, they said um, there was actually a 2017 study at the University of Virginia, and they compared the memories of experiences with the real, with real and imagined mm -hmm. um, memories, and the near-death experiences recalled were had greater vividness mm -hmm. and detail. So um, they felt it and they perceived it in a much, much greater, you know, and they're. And there with more lucidity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's just like, 
and clarity, mm-hmm. you know. Well, also, like, I read a few things about, um, you know, like, life after having a near-death experience. Mm-hmm. And there are correlations there as well that actually have credited psychedelics as a therapeutic option. Right. Because of the similarities of the experience. Oh, that makes sense. Well, and they, um, they say, too, that after you have this near-death experience, they have a more increased sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. Like, because they have, because it's almost like having a therapeutic, almost like having, you know, a mushroom trip or whatever, um therapeutic mushroom trip Mm -hmm. you have like a more increased sense of purpose uh appreciation for life and less fearful of death which i would think is weird but um i think it would like offer some comfort it's the like the needing to have answers right right like right what's gonna happen yeah and, oh, I know what's going to happen. And so if you peaceful. have the experience, <laughs> and then you're like, damn, that was peaceful. Yeah. You're almost excited about it. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that um, Moody, I already forgot his name, his first name. Check these notes. Uh, anyway, Raymond Raymond Moody. He said that there were nine stages mm-hmm. to near death experiences, like when you're actually having the experience. Um, sudden peace and relief from pain. Perception of a relaxing sound, like maybe music. Yeah. Consciousness. No, maybe music. It could be something something else. Um, con- I would think it's subjective. Like yeah. Be, like, the, the whole experience overall is subjective to each right. individual. But. Right. Um, consciousness <coughs> or spirit uh, ascending, so remu- remote viewing. So, like, that's the start of your... Um, out-of-body experience, uh, leaving the earthly realm, mm-hmm. um, and then arriving at a heavenly place. So whatever your idea of heavenly is, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't necessarily have to be heaven, but... Yeah. Um, met by people of the light, usually deceased family members and friends, could be angels, it could be just anything else. Your favorite band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, meeting with a deity, mm-hmm. so whatever that means to you as well. And then life review, and then returning to your earthly body. That's when you get resuscitated. Mm-hmm. What's strange to me, too, is, like, all of this is happening within a minute. Yeah. 
but it seems like hours. Or, yeah. Well, know. I mean, just like when you're tripping, it feels like an eternity <laughs> is going by, and you have, like, no perception of time right. or time passing, and that's why it feels like, like you could experience the entirety of your life again right in you know four to eight hours like right right um ken uh kenneth ring uh he made it a lot simpler um peace body separation entering darkness seeing the light entering another realm of existence and then being resuscitated um, they both were quick to say not everybody experiences all the stages mm -hmm. and not necessarily in, in order. Well, not everybody has that period. Like, right. So, um, I, part of this too is like how biologically is this happening? Um, you know, one of the things that you can think, of, like, low oxygen levels, you know, is kind of, you can even, like, make your, not make yourself, but, I mean, people can start getting tunnel vision or, um, like, inducing parts of this by, about to, if they're about to pass out and get yeah. that tunnel vision. Well, and also, like, this could be <coughs> theoretically stimulated with, like, breath work. Mm hmm Or, you know, like, I've seen comparisons drawn between a near-death experience and, like, astral projection, mm -hmm. if you, like, subscribe to that idea. Yeah. Um, They've also um, done it with actually with the, um, in the 5G, or what is it, the G-Force? Like zero G, maybe? Where they put them in the, um, centrifugal force, you know, put the pilots in there, mm -hmm. and then they spin them around. Yeah. They've done that, um, and they have that, the closest near-death experience that they can get like they called it near death light <laughs> so well it's interesting because like all of these other things that could potentially s simulate a, like a similar experience would in fact induce hallucinations right but near death experience experiences are like specifically considered different than right like biologically so different responses here well so here's <coughs> one of the things that was really interesting to me was the theory that um it's similar to a uh to a seizure, a complex partial mm. seizure. 
So that's different than like a generalized seizure. It's a focal seizure. So it starts in one part of your brain and then it goes, you know, it starts here and then it goes in different parts, right? Yes, this is live. Um, so it goes... Oh, are we supposed to... <laughs> what? <laughs> we're supposed to respond? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so it starts in one part of your brain and goes around, right? Uh -huh. So the theory is, in a near-death experience, um, just like a seizure, it will shut down each part of your brain, like, uh, kind of like shutting down a city, a city block, and... Um, each of their power, you know, the power goes down in each part. Oh, wow. Yeah. So your brain is based, or the person having the near-death experience, this part of their brain over here is still telling a story. Okay. okay. But not completely. Right. And so that's why they're having these thoughts that aren't necessarily complete, mm -hmm. because this, you know, it's, trying to complete a story, you know, um, it's trying to make up a story, mm -hmm. but it can't, uh, it's not a real one, right, and so that's why it's a near, mm -hmm. you know, that's why it seems so real, it's real to them, mm -hmm. um, and actually, um, so what, Dostoevsky, you know, the writer, the author, mm -hmm. um, he was epileptic, and he had that kind of, um, he had that kind of epilepsy. Mm -hmm. He had, and part of that are auras, and so people who are, who have auras like that, some of them can get really, really happy and joyous, and that's their type of aura. Mm -hmm. Um one of his friends said during his epileptic fits or rather immediately preceding them he had always experienced a moment or two when his whole heart seemed to wake up to vigor and light when he became uh, became filled with joy and hope and all his anxieties seemed to be swept away forever so that's kind of like almost like a near-death experience, right? But mm -hmm. that was just a second before he would have a seizure. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Um, and scientists now can uh, simulate, like, put an electrode on somebody's brain, an mm -hmm. epileptic's brain, and simulate those auras and make them feel joyous and happy and have those related feelings. And... They can also simulate, in other parts of the brain, the out-of-body experiences. Wow. Yeah, and hallucinations. So, I mean, that is kind of crazy that, you know, so I feel like that makes sense because your neurons are trying to talk to each other and there's no, there's no bridge Sure. You know? Mm -hmm. And so it's making its own bridge. 
And that's why you're seeing those things or you're feeling those things. And it makes sense why people are seeing and feeling those things mm-hmm. uh, at the same time. You know, like, they're all seeing this and feeling the same thing. Right. You know? And why only 10% are feeling and seeing the same things. Because not everybody is dying the same way. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, you know, if you are dying immediately or, you know, you're coming back, maybe those neurons didn't all, you know, didn't shut down. And so you didn't yeah. have that near-death experience. Yeah. Well, and I would imagine, like, different, like, the physiology of, like, your particular cause of death would be... Right. Would, like, interfere with your brain's perception of what's going on. Right, right. Um, speaking of... Well, and... You know, this all comes back to, though, like... You know, your perception, if you're, if you're a spiritual person to begin with, mm-hmm. so, like, or not a spiritual person, you could say, oh, my God, I saw all these things, and that, that could have been God. Yeah. You know, um, it was, I think it said 48%. Um... 46% of people in America believe in guardian angels. Mm-hmm. So even if, like, maybe, like, I don't believe in guardian angels, but if, like, my mom my entire life has been telling me that I have a guardian angel and then I have a near-death experience, mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, well, that's, you know. You, yeah. You know. After seeing something like that, nobody really understands it. Mm-hmm. You know. So... I think your physiology is slightly different than somebody else's, which affects your perception, Mm -hmm. because people can't really explain it, right? Right. So it affects your perception, which affects your spirituality, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think this is, like... I think going into the spirituality part is really weird because it's a huge difference than what, like, what the scientists are saying and the psychologists and the, yeah, like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. there's two different lines of it. Like, the, like, you know, you were talking about the astral projection and yeah. Stuff. And the I had one here talking about I was reading the whole article and then I was like and then they started talking about life energy and I was like wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> this ain't right. Well, like that one I was reading that was written by a pastor. Yeah. It was like this NEDs or NDEs or whatever are gift from God. Like, <laughs> pardon? Yeah, gift uh, from God. Um, I don't, I don't know. 
Well, and I mean, it's still largely considered a, a phenomenon, right? Like it's right. totally subjective. The experiences are exclusive to differing individuals. Right. And um, like we were talking about earlier, you get into like the whole belief thing. Like, what is it to truly believe something? Like, right. so much so that in your final moments on this earth, you experience it. Like, you've, you've had no evidence right. that that, like, that your belief is true or valid or whatever, and then you experience it as you're dying. Right. Or, like, if you believe in reincarnation, the light could just be you being immediately reborn. Like, right. right. Well, I mean, what I find interesting about all of this, too, is, like, how similar... Similar all of these things are, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because religion for the most part, in the grand scheme of things, is all pretty similar, you know? Like, oh, yeah. So, it can, everything can kind of be interpreted, you know, like, some people find, you know, find near-death experiences, see their guardian angel, and um, others see the god of death. But is that really much different from each other? Like, right. or your dead relatives, or, I mean, how how different really is it? If they see a deity, you know, how, how is that? So then it, it could literally be anything that you have, like, some preconceived notion of. Well, you know, a cognition of. Like, yeah. it's... Some, you know, even if you don't, like, believe in it... Yeah. Just the fact that it ever Cross. took up space in your fucking brain... Right. You could potentially experience it at the end of your life. Right. Well, I was watching this show the other day. Uh, um, it was the new cold case files <laughs> this lady she was like her son was they said that he was went missing in a lake and her his mom who was like 87 and a half years old mm -hmm. she was like I knew he wasn't dead I knew he wasn't dead I went out to the lake and Somebody just told me he's not dead, but he was dead, just not in the lake. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, you're just, you just don't want him to be dead. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just your deepest, darkest desires, like, mm -hmm. you know, just your thoughts. You know, yeah. you just 
your brain just took a whole bunch of shrooms. And <laughs> no. Yep. Like uh, a heroic dose. And <laughs> well, one of the things you have to think about too is when these people are in near-death experiences, you can't say that. I mean, they're on a lot of medication to save their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, their bodies are going through a lot of trauma. And it's not to discount that, I mean, obviously these things are happening. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going, I mean, they're obviously seeing these things, but are the things that they're, they're seeing that intense? Or is some of this stuff side effects? Is it, like... Well, and, like, people that are, you know, they have an out-of-body experience or a near-death experience or what have you, like, while undergoing an operation. Right. They're under heavy anesthesia. Right. You know. And, you know, like, while you're under anesthesia, they're preemptively pumping pain medication into your IV so that you don't like come back to consciousness in right. severe pain like right i mean how can that not be? well and think about like the anxiousness <coughs> you're going to have going into surgery like or the anxiety going into surgery you're how many times have you seen those shows where they're I was, I had this out of body, I saw the doctors operating on me, you know, so then it becomes, you have that notion in your head, you have that, yeah, and it may be some sort of dream hallucination, I don't know what you would call it, where you're out dreaming Like a lucid dream? Yeah. Yeah, like, which is not a very interesting topic. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know if you, like, I feel like it's a really hard subject to figure out because I, th- I think that people obviously are experiencing, experiencing these things because there are a lot of documented... It's been documented multiple times. But then there's also the possibility of these people, like, seeking out this information, right? Like we did. Right. (coughs) Or hearing about it or whatever. And just the fact that that knowledge that, like, this may possibly have ever happened to somebody. Right. Well. Induces some sort of response, like, in a similar situation. Well, the first, the first study, it was all just anecdotal. It was all just, hey, have you had a near-death experience? Mm -hmm. You fell off a ladder? Like, yeah. They didn't even know if they were clinically dead or not. Mm -hmm. I mean... I could be like, oh, yeah, I had a near-death experience, like, (laughs) 
right. the time I wanted to. You know, mm-hmm. I had to go to work yesterday. I had a near-death experience. <laughs> You know. <laughs> Just driving. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't think that there's anything... I think that's why it's so difficult with this this subject is because when I... I don't know about you, but when I was searching for things, it was just kind of... Yeah... It happens, but we don't really know why. And mm-hmm. I mean, they've actually acknowledged that it happens, yeah. but they can't really replicate it. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than that one, but they can't really replicate. Cause how unethical is that? Let me try and kill you and bring you back. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. unlike that study I told you I read about where a team were, they were monitoring brain activity of people in a hospital that were, uh, like they were already dying, you know. Right. Um, Flatlining, you know, measure their brain activity while undergoing resuscitation. And out of you know, 58 people that they tried to conduct this study on, only 20 of them survived. Right. And of the 20, only, like, seven people, seven or eight, claimed to have had a a near-death experience. Right. Well, the other thing, too, is, and I didn't really go too much into this with my, with my research, but... Yeah, I mean, think about the the um, people who work in hospice, mm-hmm. and there are definite stages of of a person's death. You know, there are where like a, when people like seem to get better, like the day or two before. Mm-hmm. And they see their relatives and yep. things like that. And it's not everybody. It's, I mean, but a lot of them. <coughs> yeah. You know. And then reconciling with their family and, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, not reconciling, but, you know, saying their goodbyes and yep. things like that. And then they pass on. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, that's a well-known fact that there are stages and right. I mean, we, I should have looked into that more, but I don't. I mean, obviously, you can't get people back from that, <laughs> from hospice, <laughs> to ask them, you know, what mm-hmm. was that like. But I feel like that's kind of the same thing where your mind is losing neurons little by little. Yeah, so, like, with my grandma, Mm -hmm. um, I took care of her for the last six months that she was alive, and she was bedridden, and, you know, um, she was on hospice, but I was doing the caregiving Mm -hmm. the whole time, um, and the hospice was really just, like, administering medication and whatever, like, checking in. Um, 
and she would be, you know, like, relatively unresponsive for days at a time. Yeah. And she was on a hell of a fucking cocktail of medication, (laughs) mind you. So, while she, like, could, like, she was conscious, right, she was not always responsive, and sometimes she would just lay in bed and stare at the ceiling, and then if you try to talk to her, she would say some wild-ass shit, like, one day I was cleaning, and she was kind of, like, mumbling, and I thought she was trying to get my attention, so I walked over and grabbed her hand to let her know I was there, and I was like, what is it? grandma do you need something and she was like she it was like she was gone and then when I touched her she kind of like snapped back to reality Mm -hmm. and she told me she was sweeping the floors of heaven like that she was like prepping her space in heaven yeah weird like (laughs) (laughs) all right well (laughs) i'll let you get back to it i guess (laughs) do you need a dustpan i'll go get one from the nurse (laughs) so uh, there's like you know the claims of near-death experiences are specifically when someone is clinically dead yeah right yeah but what about like the progression of a disease up until death. Yeah. Like what my grandma had. Right. Or, you know, people with dementia, what are they experiencing? Right, right. Well, I mean, that leads to another question, too, is... I I hate, like, saying this kind of stuff, because I feel like I'm discrediting people, but... You know, what What does clinical death do to your brain? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you're coming, I mean, that's a pretty traumatic thing for your brain. You know, you're... Well, and, like, what about if you're in a coma? Yeah. You know, you're technically alive because of you know, machines and shit that you're hooked up to, but, and you have brain activity, but you're not considered conscious. Right. So, where, like, where are you? Yeah. This kind of, like, I feel like this stuff kind of ties back to the memory stuff, too. Because even if your mind is good and you have no damage whatsoever afterwards, Mm -hmm. you still can't rely on that memory. Right. Because it's not... No memory, memory is just a perception, and of what you 
you know, it's, it's well, not it's, real. <laughs> like, yeah, like, every time you recall a memory, you're not remembering the thing. Yeah. Itself. You're remembering the last time you recalled it. Right. And over time, you know, uh, you might, like, embellish it a little or remember it a little differently than you used to. Or even, like, outside influence could interfere with how you recall that specific memory. Well, especially, too, when they're like, there's no way to describe this. There's no way to describe this. Mm-hmm. And you're remember uh, you're remembering it. If you can't describe it, how are you remembering something you can't describe? Like I I have a really hard time recalling smells. Mm-hmm. Like not necessarily like like, um, sight, Mm -hmm. but smell and taste, recalling that, but, like, if I taste something or if I smell something, it'll bring back a memory, Mm -hmm. but, like, things that are, you know, like, I, I can't, I can't recall something, I can't be like, let me remember what that tastes like, and I can't, I can't do that. I don't know if you can. I think... I don't... I don't think I can. But I do get that, like, trigger of, like, a taste or a smell. Specifically smells because my nose is really sensitive. But I can also, like... um, Like, when I smell or taste something, I can, like, piece apart a smell. Yeah. Or a taste. Yeah. But, like... But I can't, like... But when I say vinegar... Yeah. When I say vinegar, like... Oh, that one does it. (laughs) Immediately. My mouth is, like, gross. (laughs) (laughs) But, or, like... Okay, if I say, like, apple pie... Can you, like, describe, other than describing apple pie and the way it tastes, I mean, I can almost smell it when you say it. Right. But, I, I like, I've never tried this before. It's very weird. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's... But, like, if you tasted an apple pie, mm-hmm. it would bring you back to a memory. Right. So, like, when somebody says I had a near-death experience and I can't... I can't tell you what I experienced, mm-hmm. that's what I feel like, is, like... It's kind of like what we're trying to do now. Mm-hmm. Where... You're taking, like, something very... Sensory. Abstract. Yeah. Out of, like, the physiology of being a human being. Yeah. And then it's like, what what the fuck is that, even? Yeah, like, like how can you remember it, though? Right. 
Yeah. Well, just like, okay. Because you have nothing to so, link it to. I've had this conversation before about vision, mm-hmm. right? Like, and, you know, people that are born blind versus people that lose their eyesight over time. Right. Your eyes perceive, like, light and reflection and colors and this and that and relay information to your brain. Mm-hmm. But without, like, a base knowledge of a given object, would you technically see the thing because like your brain while your eyes are taking in information relaying it to your brain your brain is what dictates what you are looking at you mean based on knowledge that you have like if you had never seen you know like a whatever some version of a planet Mm -hmm. before right and you were, like, you've never seen that before. You didn't even know about space or planets or any of that shit. Like, all right. you know is what's here. And then somebody hangs out on the wall. Mm-hmm. It's not you just that you don't know what it is. Like, how would your eyes communicate something that your brain doesn't have knowledge of? To your brain, other than color or shape. Right. So then, if you cannot see, how do you, like, experience the world around you without knowledge of everything? You know, like, of all the things. Because technically it's your brain that does the seeing, right? But just, I don't want to get into the whole thing. <laughs> it's just, like, taking such an abstract concept out of the physiology yeah. of being a human yeah. being. Yeah. It's like, it's, to simplify, it's like, trying to tell a blind person who's been blind since birth Mm -hmm. that this is, my sweater is blue. Yeah, and how do you (coughs) describe blue? Yeah. Because they haven't seen the sky. Yeah. Or any fucking thing else blue. Like, how do you describe it without the knowledge of things that are blue? Or, like, red. Right. Or, you know, anything. Like... Yeah. The other day, I was... Like, Henry read something online and then randomly asked me to, like, do the thing that he read. And it was something like... um, Describe how something tastes without um, using, like, 
taste words. Well, like, smell words. Mm. So, like, or taste words, I guess. I don't know, because it's, like, smell and taste are so intertwined with each other. But, like, if you ate a peanut. Right. You couldn't describe it as salty or nutty or crunchy. Like how? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of breaks your brain a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, that's why it's kind of, I feel like you can't, especially as time goes on, you can't really trust the memory that somebody has mm-hmm. of their near-death experience. And right. some of these, at least the ones that I've seen, the testimonials are 20 years, 30 years. Right. Because I mean, because they are few and far between. Mm-hmm. I mean, 10 to 20% of people who have been resuscitated, <laughs> I mean, that, um, I mean, that's like, <laughs> I well, mean, do you know yeah, anybody and like, who's been resuscitated? I don't. Like, from death? No. Like. I, I mean, not that I know of. I don't usually ask people, like, have you died before, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to? Because <laughs> I can make that happen. <laughs> Just try something real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> I mean, that's just crazy. But, yeah. Anyway. Well, and not to mention that just like with, um, you know, paranormal experiences or, what, like, any experience that anyone has, like, especially when it comes to writing a fucking book or doing a, a docu-series, or doing a, you know, dramatic reenactment, or yeah. whatever. Like, how much of it is fucking embellished. Right. To sell it. Like, right, yeah. Because it's not interesting. Like, it, yeah. <laughs> it might be real fucking interesting to you. Yeah. Because it happened to you. But without, like, all the extra shit, you know, how do you convince other people. Right. If you can't make it appealing, like... Right, right. Well, and... I mean... It could be that he... You know, the person is just like... Yeah, I mean... I went into the light, and it was just a light bulb. (laughs) And I looked down, and I was a moth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, never could you spice this up a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like never mind how fucking weird dreams are because that is a mix of information from your conscious mind. Yeah. And shit that your subconscious just fucking makes up like I really try hard to limit my dreams 
that I relay to three sentences or less. Because as interesting as your dreams are, to you, 95% of the time they are not interesting to other people. I'm just saying. <laughs> Unless your husband is Triple H. <laughs> and he's trying to take out... What was that guy's name? I forget him. I forget him already, see? Not interesting. <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, it's, anyway, forgot where we were going with that. I had a near-death experience. Just right now? Just right now, trying to remember my dream. How was it? Meh. I'm not going to get a show out of it. <laughs> think that's about all I have. What do you think was, what facts did you find interesting? I mean, the whole thing is really interesting. Okay, but particularly, <laughs> like, the subjectiveness yeah. of the alleged experience. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the whole epilepsy thing was interesting. Oh, yeah. I thought that was, like, I think that's what made the most sense to me, is, like, how <coughs> it's kind of like your brain is shutting down, you know, and that's why people are seeing things. Mm -hmm. That makes the most sense to me. Yeah. But it could be my perception. I'm Purple Trader, 3169. I'm Ash, from Experience Required. Also, Merc Little on Twitch. <laughs> uh, don't forget to follow, like, subscribe. I think I forgot to say that again in the beginning. <laughs> they know. They know. Y'all know how this goes. Be better. <laughs> Have a good night. Okay, bye. Bye.